My name is Shandy Chernow, and you're listening to the Shandyland Podcast. I am absolutely thrilled today to bring you a topic that we need to talk about more, particularly on the food allergy side. We've talked a little bit about it on the hospitality side, but I have for you Tamara Hubbard. She is a licensed therapist and the founder of the Food Allergy Counselor. And I am absolutely thrilled to be able to talk about the need for mental health resources in the food allergy community. Tamara, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's an honor. Well, I'm glad to have you. So tell me what led you into being a therapist and wanting to you know, help people in the food allergic community uh, work on their mental health things and, and what's tied into food allergy and mental health. Well, so my path was not straightforward as many of us, you know, where we are today was not where we thought we'd be, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So I, I've been in the clinical therapy field for about 18, 19 years now. I started off. Yeah. I started off doing substance abuse with teens. Um, not, not (laughs) for the faint of heart, Uh, inpatient, outpatient, and then eventually had kids. And so like many of us in the behavioral health fields, we want to have a little bit more of a flexible schedule. And so I went into private practice with group practices, too afraid to start my own. Um, What led me then to then transition to focus on food allergy is that my youngest has a peanut allergy. So I, we don't have a family history of food allergies. Um, You know, I had always heard about food allergies at preschool and thought, oh gosh, they seem so scary. And it turns out, yeah, we have a son with a peanut allergy. And so that got me thinking and paying attention to the food allergy space. And so I just sat back and I was doing the allergy mom thing, right? Getting my feet wet, learning how to, to, to live with an allergy, dealing with my own anxiety about it. And then I told Ruchi this at the last FACES conference. I said, you know, did you realize that it was your first annual conference where I sort of had this like thought about, I need to get into this space. And this is going to sound corny, but my heart led me into this space. (laughs) Whenever I say it, I'm like, you sound so corny, but it's true. Um, And so I asked one question in conversations with people back in, I think it was 2018, Uh, who's caring for the mental health of those managing food allergies? Who's focusing on that? Who's putting content out there for for the community? And, you know, people were saying, well, yeah, it's on our radar and we're doing a little bit here and there, but nothing really, you know, collective. And so that one question led me here. Yeah, no, the, the, it's such a need, right? Yeah. Um, and one of the topics that I want to talk about with you is the, <clears throat> the experiences that most food allergy people have around medical, medical experiences, right? Going into the emergency room, having a reaction and the doctor doesn't believe you mm-hmm. um, or wants to treat you for something else because they don't know what anaphylaxis can look like or, you know, getting tested and being told that you have to avoid 700 foods that you could eat yesterday. Like, the the trauma around the misinformation in the medical community, in my opinion, mm-hmm. causes, it's not just like the, you go out to eat and you can't put the food in your mouth, right? It's, it's the What you're talking like about, what, what I, what it feels like you're getting to is this trust issue. Um, and you're right. Like when we think about the core of anxiety and, and by the way, I need to mention that having anxious feelings is normal. 
right? We all have anxious feelings. We all feel anxiety. We all have things in our lives that trigger anxious, uh, intense anxious feelings. Things like when something's new, when um, we're unsure about something, when it's uncertain or unpredictable, or when things are kind of gray and ambiguous. Those are key triggers for anxiety or anxious feelings. Um, But even though anxiety can help us keep us safe, what you're talking about is another trigger for anxiety is when we don't trust the information we're getting, or maybe we don't have trust in medical providers providing you know, the treatment or the, the care for us. And that is a very huge piece. And that's something I'll talk with my, my patients about all the time is, you know, what it's about relationships with our medical providers. We need to have trust in those that are, that are providing the treatment for us. And in particular, that's hard when you're going to the emergency room and you don't have a relationship with the provider there, right? They're there just for acute care. Um, and that then can trigger for, especially with, for parents, the, the feeling that they need to know everything, that they need to be spending all of their time researching things because they need to know more than the medical providers. And that's that's, right. right, That's over function. That gets us to an over-functioning trap, which isn't helpful for the balance, but, but it's a very real, I mean, again, I don't want to downplay that feeling because there have been experiences that people have had where they've, they've had to correct. Oh, there's no, I was in the hospital two and a half weeks ago and the doctor literally didn't believe me. Yeah. Because I didn't look like, you know, the hitch example. Right. 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 Exactly. I I was like, this, this is not how anaphylaxis presents. And I was like, dude, you couldn't be more wrong if you tried. (laughs) Well, you know, and I was talking to an allergist friend of mine recently, Brian Shore, we were at a conference and we were chatting in between sessions. And I said, you know, Brian, why is it that it seems like allergy and immunology is a space in the medical field that, that people don't know enough about. And he's, and he kind of talked me through like, how, how, how an allergist might, you know, decide to get into that space. It's very specialized. And so, yeah, there, there probably is a lack of like enough general knowledge about allergy and immunology and and anaphylaxis out there, but but on the, on the mental health side, I mean, you go into the hospital as an example, right. Mm -hmm. And you have, what happens if the next time I can't breathe or my blood pressure and they don't do the things they're supposed to do, right. That's it's scary that way. It is. A fear. Um, yeah. And I would think it's one of many things that you see with the, with yeah. the food allergy patients and their families, right? Yeah. So again, what we're talking about is advocacy because what we need to be able to yeah. do, one of the skills that when we're, when we're dealing with and managing, um, anaphylaxis uh, or food allergies or, you know, food allergies that are life-threatening, whether we're the individual or the parent and the care and the caregiver is being able to speak up. And that's not easy for everybody. Mm -mm. You know, we, we may approach medical providers as they know more like a hierarchical look, they, they, they know more than us. And so who are we to say anything? But what I encourage people to say it is, is speak up when you're not sure about something, whether it's in the ER or you're at an allergy appointment, ask the questions. Don't sit there and wrestle and get in a struggle, struggles, you know, cycle of should I, shouldn't I? Yes. The answer is you should ask whenever you have a question about why they're doing something, how it's going, if they should be doing something else say something, ask something, bring something up. And if you really feel like they're missing something, like in the case of the ER example, then keep advocating, keep pushing. Now people will say, well, that's how, you know, the allergy world gets that 
that stereotype of being, you know, but you know what, when it comes to those moments where that matters, don't worry about that. Speak up and advocate for what you need and get the information you need to feel better about the choices being made. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, it's always super interesting, but so, so that's kind of one side of it, right? One yeah. piece, what other types of issues, uh, and I don't know if issues is the right word to use there, but, but what other types of, you know, uh, mental health effects do you see from food allergies? And I'm interested both in, on the patient side mm-hmm. and on the family side, right? Cause I think it would probably be a little bit different. There's a whole host. And I usually refer to those as impacts or even burdens. Impacts. Um, impacts. Yeah. I, I like the word. If anyone who knows me well knows that I'm a big believer. Issues sounds matters. bad, right? Issues <laughs> sounds bad. Issues sounds like, issues is like problems, right? And, right, right, right. And, and mental health has already got such a big stigma anyhow, that like, <laughs> that just reinforces like, you've got to go to therapy because there's problems <laughs> that we have to fix. And that's actually not what therapy is about. Therapy can be very proactive and you know, exploratory in nature. But yeah, if anyone who knows me knows that I language matters and I say that all the time and the type, the type of therapy that the theories that I use, acceptance and commitment therapy, relational frame theory, systems theories are very much related to the language we use or relationships between one thing and another, a concept of thought or people. And so, um, I, I like the term impact and um, if need be burden better, but, but you ask, you know, a very big question because there's a ton of things that I see. So, you know, a lot of times what brings somebody to therapy with an allergy informed therapist is that either their level of anxiety is too high. Maybe they're the caregiver and they're like, especially for newly diagnosed with young kids. And, you know, we know that for the newly diagnosed, most of the, the focus for safety is, is the adult, is the parent, it's on them. So it's very anxiety provoking when you're just getting used to this diagnosis and your child can't talk and tell you how they feel and understand all these concepts. So it could be anxiety that brings them in. It could be, you know, we're also seeing a lot of people calling us because they're starting oral immunotherapy. And in the case of like with adolescents, maybe the teen doesn't want to do it anymore, but the parents see the benefits and the hope and they still want to do it. So now there's a power struggle and a commitment level issue between the two of them, you know, that's not balanced. So we see that coming, coming and calling, you know, those patients calling us. Um, For those that are diagnosed as adults, I mean, imagine you've been living your life, you know, 20, 30 years, and then all of a sudden, Yep. Right. You, That's me. you get this diagnosis. <laughs> yeah. And now it's like, okay, now I've got to completely change the way that I approach things. And so some may call us because of that. So really, you know, what we see is anything that impacts quality of life and anything that, um, uh, basically keeps them from being able to function and do the things they want to do. So, you know, if their anxiety is getting in the way of, of having them be able to travel or go to a restaurant, right. They, they want to work on how can we do that even with anxiety? Yeah, I love it. So do you, with food allergy patients as an adult, you see kind of similar things with parents of kids what do you see in the kids themselves? As far as like uh, patients. What? Yeah. What, what types of burdens do they feel or anxieties yeah. do they see? 
So I don't do, in full disclosure, I don't do a lot of work with kids anymore, but I am family therapy trained. And so I have done work with kids. I just prefer to- Part of the reason that that I ask is so that anyone who's listening, who experiences these things realizes that it's totally normal and it's okay. And there's resources out there. So for kids, for kids, you know, typically- what we see is when they start to have an awareness of others and and social situations. And a lot of times that happens like middle elementary school, like second, third, fourth grade, they start to get a little bit like, not all, but some can start to feel ashamed of their allergies. Some can start to feel right. Shy. I'm different. Right. And, and, and again, that's starting to get into those preteen tween years where, you know, we want to just, our goal, our little, our literal goal of those stages of development is learning to belong, to fit in who we are, all of that. Right. And so, you know, whether it's a diagnosis of diabetes or food allergy or asthma or something that can make them look different, they may struggle with how to speak up, advocate, take care of themselves, um, let people know in a way that feels comfortable, not all, but those, there are those that do. There's also, you know, I think it, the stat is about one third of kids with allergies feel bullied, um, mm-hmm. and, and unsafe. So that may be something they experience that bring them in. So, so, you know, that those are common things that if parents are, are in those ages and stages with their kids, to be mindful of that they're not alone if they're struggling with those things. And those certainly would be a great opportunity to reach out to a therapist to say, how do we problem solve this in a way that's workable for us? So you have taken this niche of therapy around food allergy families and food allergic people and created the food allergy counselor. Yeah. Right. So so tell me about the services that are there and how, you know, what's the website where people can go and all that stuff. Yeah. So I, I, that was never my intention. The little background about me is um, back when my kids were younger, they're 13 and 15 now. So when they were around one and three, I was, and I hate this term, but it's what it was. I was a mom blogger. And so, um, I, you know, had one wonderful experience. My, my phrase, uh, or my name was the unexperienced mom. And I know that's grammatically incorrect, but that's, that's what I, that's what I named it on purpose. And, uh, and so anyhow, I had experienced blogging and I say that, and that's important because, um, after two years, my husband said to me, like, I never see you anymore. You're always on your computer. And, and, and so I made the hard decision to, to step away from that and refocus on my family. And then of course, you know, the, my question comes up, like who's focusing on the mental health of those and managing allergies. And I felt this pull to start a website again. And I thought, oh God, here we go. My husband's going to be like, no, yeah, I'm never going to see you. So I, I had never really intended to create the food allergy counselor. I wrote one blog piece, uh, and I had scary mommy shared it and a couple of other outlets and it was my story. So that's the first post on the blog on food at the food allergy counselor, which by the way, it's foodallergycounselor.com. Um, and it's, it's my story of my son's diagnosis and how I felt and how I navigated that. And then, of course, I wrote more. And then I was like, well, I guess I have to start a blog again. So initially, the Food Allergy Counselor website was just a space where I could, as a therapist and as an allergy mom, share my information and my thoughts and my tips. And then I started to have people reaching out from all over the country saying, hey, you, you know allergy, you know therapy, can you be my therapist? And one of the things that many people don't realize is that in the behavioral health field, 
we're bound by our licenses in our states. So I can't practice outside of Illinois um, because I'm not licensed in other states. And so that's a barrier. And so I would get calls from all over the place and I couldn't help them. So I started to say, there must be others out there that are doing this work. And so then I started connecting with them and that turned into the, the Food Allergy Behavioral Health Network. Uh, which is the side for the providers, the therapy providers where we can connect and we have monthly consultation groups where we can talk about this work and, you know, look at the research that's coming up. Um, but as far as what's community facing on the food allergy counselor, there's, I actually have a podcast myself, which is on hiatus because there's so many other projects I've been involved with. It's called Exploring Food Allergy Families. My most recent guest was um, Joe Frost, Super Nanny, who also deals with food allergies. Nice. Um, and she shared a little bit about how she makes her show, which I thought was fascinating. And then um, there's also, again, the food allergy counselor directory. We have at least one provider in 42 states and four countries. My goal by the end of 2022 is to get at least one in every state. Um, and then we have a whole psychosocial quality of life resource page where there's links to all sorts of things, webinars, articles, research, um, books that are under the topic of psychosocial and quality of life impacts. So there's a whole bunch of stuff there. What, you know, there's a page about for providers, for allergists, for therapists, for community, what is the allergy counseling niche? Like, let's start there. What is that? So my goal really with the food allergy counselor, and it's now a company I brought, I'm bringing on advisors. We are, we are in growth mode right now is to grow this niche, to make it more, you know, visible, to bring more people into it and to continue to provide really good quality, reputable information to the community to help them through the psychosocial impacts. I think that's awesome. One of the things that I saw <clears throat> in some of the, you know, preparation was the therapeutic worksheets. What does that mean? And how do they, like, what are they? Yeah. So those are things that I developed and, um, I, I basically take therapeutic concepts. So like some of them are cognitive behavioral, some are acceptance commitment therapy. So for instance, one of them is thinking traps and that's very much a CBT based concept. And so I take these, these therapeutic ideas and then I pair them with allergy, food allergy in particular. And then I, instead of having somebody, you know, read something general about thinking traps or CBT concepts, and then have to, as a patient, apply that themselves to food allergy, I have been putting these concepts together for the last few years and making worksheets and, and people can download them on their own to use them at home to help them work through stuff or, you know, providers, allergist therapists. I have an allergist, an allergy uh, practice in Ireland that uses them because they don't have psychosocial support, unfortunately, for their patients. So they use these worksheets to help them at least step into that realm. Um, one of the other popular ones is uh, mindset work. So growth mindset, right? That was my first worksheet actually was growth mindset. There's a free one that's, and again, these are all like low cost worksheets because I want them to be affordable for the community. Um, the free one that I have there is a concept called TRACE and it's an acronym for um, what to do after you've had an, a reaction or anaphylactic reaction. And it's, I call it like a compass, a post anaphylaxis compass back to balance. And it's, it's just sort of reminders to, to help you right back to a place. And it may take months. It may take a year to get back to a place where you feel, okay, I can do this again. I hear that. <laughs> What's a thinking trap? Great question. So a thinking trap, the, the 
technical terminology for it is cognitive distortion. And so um, the best way to describe that is that our mind can sometimes be an overly helpful friend. And so (laughs) (laughs) our mind, we tend to think that whatever our mind tells us is good advice, when actually that's not always the case. Sometimes it leads us to these thinking traps where we get stuck. So a classic one is um, all or nothing thinking right? It's something has to always be this way or it's never this way. And typically when we think in extremes like that, that's how we notice that's a trap. It's not, basically, it's not a helpful way to think. It's not going to make things workable for us. So that's probably- If I didn't follow my diet today, I'm definitely not on a diet anymore. All or nothing thinking. Yep. Right. How is that going to help you reach your goal? Probably not going to, but we tend to get stuck in these because our mind tells us that that's what we should be thinking. Overly helpful friend there, right? So, so you know, it it helps us to identify these traps so that we can then say, oh, hang on, there's that trap again. There's that my mind is trying. And again, why does our mind do that? Someone might say, well, why does our mind do that? Well, our mind wants certainty. It wants predictability. Those are the things that make it feel safe. It doesn't matter whether the information is correct or not. It wants safety. So we have to evaluate whether, you know, what our brain or a really helpful friend is telling us is actually useful or not and and do something different. And so what would be a good example in food allergies? If I can't eat everything, I can't eat anything. Right. That's that. Or, um, you know, if they, if they have um, my allergen at this restaurant, then it's, it's always unsafe. Right. Well, that may or may not be accurate. Right. You need to instead of just going with that and then avoiding it and saying, I can't go. You might challenge it and say, well, hang on a minute. Let me call. Let me call them and ask, you know, and see, is that is that actually actually an accurate thought or is that, you know, a trap to keep me safe? But can I be safe even without going to the extremes? Um, Another, you know, common trap is. is um, thinking that you are responsible for everything or if something happens, it's your fault, right? So I'll see allergy parents. Yeah, <laughs> often, you know, find themselves that. in that one. Yeah, like, okay, you know, but but in, in my response to that, because I love to bring humor into my therapy. I, you know, I take a real humanistic approach in my work um, and very conversational is like, um, you don't have that kind of power. None of us have that kind of power that everything is our fault or is because of us. Like we just, we don't, we don't have that kind of power, but our mind tells us that we do, right? A really helpful friend, or some of us may want to call it our overly helpful mother-in-law. I don't know, you know, (laughs) (laughs) not me, just saying. Who's the nagging voice in your head today? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'll even even talk about like naming it. Like my clients will sometimes (laughs) name you know, they're overly helpful friend. Oh, there she is again, you know, and how old is she? And what, you know, we, we like personalize it, you know, so that we can, we can talk back to it. We can use the tools that we develop in therapy to say, Hey, hang on a minute. That's actually not helpful. Yeah. Have a conversation with yourself. Sounds a little bit more approachable when it's not yourself. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) It's the easiest way to describe it. So you are now writing a book. Do I hear that right? Yes. Well, yes, I'm on the book writing journey, I shall say. Um, So I've been working on this for over a year and I have a a literary agent and she, the status update basically is that she has pitched the book 
concept and sample chapters to a number of publishers and we wait. There is a lot of waiting in publishing. <laughs> no doubt. What's it yeah. about? So the book is a, is a, um, a therapeutic book. So it's based on mindfulness and acceptance and commitment therapy, and it's for allergy parents and caregivers to help them through the overwhelming anxiety of allergy parenting. What do you wish that allergy kids and allergy parents and food allergy adults knew more confidently? That just because they might feel anxious about a given situation or scenario that that doesn't automatically mean it's unsafe. Again, it's sort of that concept we were talking about of the overly helpful friend, right? Our mind wants safety and security. It's going to err on the side of rigidity. It's going to tell you that anytime you feel sick about something or you feel alerted about something that it's always unsafe but that's not the case. And so I would want anyone managing an allergy to say, can I make a different relationship with my, with my anxiety and my worry related to allergy and allergy safety so that I can navigate through life in a different way, even with that anxiety present. So on the other side, what do you wish that people who don't have food allergies or food allergic kids knew about those of us who do? That it's tough that it is tough. There's a lot of, um, lot of emotional experiences with these diagnoses. Um, there's a lot of struggle in the mind with what, with choices, what's safe, what's not, can I, can I not do that? Right. What do I tell? Who do I tell? Who knows? Am I safe? There's a lot of thought struggling going on. And so just to have a little bit more compassion would be nice, but really what I, what I would tell them, because we can't control compassion, is just be curious. Ask more questions. Ask somebody. Don't assume that because you know one person with an allergy, that, that same, those same things apply to the other person you know with allergies. Be curious about every individual who has allergic diseases, ask them what they need, ask them, learn more about it, and then just be there in any way that you can. The thing for me that is the hardest about having food allergies is that it's all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't stop. All the time. Every single time. You, I'm, I'm like, I don't want to have this conversation anymore. I know. I know. That's the exhaustion piece. That's yeah. where we, we find burnout, right? Is that we're exhausted telling people it's like, Ugh. we wish we could just have like, press the recording and here, let's play the spiel. And then, you know, we don't have to say it every time you're right. It is ongoing and it is exhausting. And so we have to meet ourselves with self-compassion. It's forever, <laughs> it's forever and a day. Yeah, it is. And, and, and again, be compassionate to ourselves when we're burnt out about this stuff too. Yeah. You said something earlier about like, if an, if a restaurant has my allergen, like in the building and the thought that crossed my mind was I've never been in a restaurant that doesn't. It's very hard to go to a restaurant, of the, especially when you have very common allergies. Like right. they're just, ugh, it's annoying. Right. Yeah. The, right. But that, that burden feeling, right? Like it is, it's an exhaustion. It's tiring. a burden. Yeah. 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 Right? But again, it's the relationship we make with those emotions too. I mean, we can allow ourselves to feel that exhaustion and that burnout and that burden from living with this. We absolutely can connect with that. And then we need to say at some point, okay, get back up, keep moving forward, right? 
I'll tell people, what is it that you want to be able to do in life with, with allergies present? And then I'll ask them, well, what's getting in the way of that? And then we'll look at, you know, well, is it a lot of times it's a thought or an internal role we have or a belief that gets in the way, not an actual thing that's getting in the way. So we right. can work with that. We can adjust that. So one more on the, what do you wish people knew? Yeah. Doctors, medical community. Yeah. So I would love, this is a therapist talking here. Yeah. If they would ask more questions about how their diagnosis, whatever it is, cancer, diabetes, allergies, asthma, I wish that more doctors would ask how it impacts their lives on a daily basis. I want doctors to take the time to get to know their patient fully. You know, how, again, not just physically how this diagnosis impacts them and keeping safe, but how it impacts their whole person, right? Um, now that then opens up the whole can of worms of like the healthcare system, you know, there's not enough time in these appointments to do these things. And so it's, it's, it's not as, as if we can snap our fingers and say, okay, great, let's do that. There's a whole bunch of other things that, that make that hard to do. Yeah. But if we're, if we're waving the magic wand, that's my wish. Yeah. Well, I just handed you a magic wand and you got to wave it. So that's- <laughs> <laughs> I wish that that could happen. Yeah, I know. I so know. how can everybody- actually a therapeutic question, by the way, that's, that's actually a therapeutic question. Yeah. That's that we ask. It's the magic wand question. Yeah. <laughs> so good job. I like it. Uh, <laughs> how can everybody find you? I know you mentioned the website once let's go through it again. Yep. So the website is, so the food allergy counselor website is www.foodallergycounselor.com. Um, I am on, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, on, so I'm on there and then the food allergy counselor is on there for myself. And I tend to share information about, you know, not, not, not allergy stuff, just more like life skills and Mm -hmm. and quality of life stuff. Um, my handle is at therapist Tamara, that's T-A-M-A-R-A. And, um, for the food allergy counselor on Instagram, it's food allergy counselor, unfortunately on Twitter, because of the limit of characters, it's F-A counselor. And then (laughs) both my practice and the food allergy counselor have Facebook pages as well. Amazing. So then that leaves us with my favorite little closing game of two truths and a lie. So in no particular order and don't tell us the answer. Okay. So, um, I have two kids. I'm married to an Englishman and I have been on the Ellen DeGeneres show. No details around anything. I like it. That makes it really hard to guess. That was my goal. <laughs> Tamara, thank you so much for being here. It's such an important conversation to have with people and to, to let everybody know that the feelings that they're having are normal and fine and that everyone else who is in the same situation is having similar feelings too. So thank you for that. You're welcome. That's my goal is, is that, you know, to let people know that when we're human, we have collective experiences and feelings. And so what you're feeling and thinking right now, I guarantee somebody else in this world is feeling exactly the same thing. Yeah, no doubt. Well, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Listeners, thanks so much for sticking around. And uh, this has been the Shandyland podcast and we will talk to you soon.